0: And, uh, of course, praying for the Union Baptist Church, we have been, and uh, Brother Michael and Ms. Kelly, uh, of course, good friends, and known each other a good little while now, uh, 13 years. Believe that? Long time. And, um, but we're excited about what's going on there. I was telling Brother Montoro, you know, with the renovation, we got to go over Thursday night after the service and see what's taking place there, and uh, really excited, of course, about that. We're doing a renovation at Southwest Baptist in Oklahoma City. And, uh, but your renovation there is much more extensive than our renovation in terms of what all has to be done, so it makes me pray even more for what you're going to be going through and the excitement that uh, comes you know, with that and marking things off. And We just moved out of our auditorium and so part of the church is meeting tonight at the campus of Heartland Baptist Bible College, part in the gym and some in the other Sunday school classrooms, so it's exciting, isn't it? Yep, absolutely, that's for sure. And there's times I have no idea what we're doing, but uh, that's fun, too. Yep, I'm glad God knows a way through the wilderness, that's for sure. And so, uh, any case, well, I'm very thankful to get to preach here uh, tonight again, and even this morning, there's a little bit of a theme kind of working from Sunday school, you know, inspiring the next generation uh, to praise the Lord, and then here during the church service. uh, For those of you that maybe weren't here this morning, we were in Genesis chapter number 27 in particular about the life of Jacob and how that uh, God wanted to bless him and to use him. But uh, to get him to a place where he could be blessed and could be used, he had to go through a process. It's true in our lives too, isn't it? God brings us through a process, a refining, refining process. I'm thankful that God is not an arsonist, but he's a refiner. I heard someone say that. I'm not sure... Uh, who it's original with, but God is not an arsonist; He's a refiner, and He uses the fiery trials to refine us, and uh, much needed in all of our lives. Well, tonight I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter number thirty-two, Genesis thirty-two, and we'll continue on with the um, the thought about Jacob, and I'm calling it tonight the keynote. Talking about being in tune with God's will. The keynote of the Christian life. What I believe would be the keynote of the Christian life. And I'm going to get a couple of the men to help me here in a little bit. We'll try to illustrate some of this and and uh, demonstrate what's going on here as we come to Genesis chapter number 32. So if you found your place there, let's go ahead and stand and read the text here together. Genesis 32, and we'll pick up the reading in verse number 24. Genesis 32 and verse number 24. It says here that Jacob, which by the way, what does Jacob mean? means what? Hill grabber. That's right. Hill grabber. Literally, hill grabber. And that's because he grabbed his brother's heel as they were being born. Twins. Jacob and Esau. Esau means what? Red, yeah, red, red red-headed baby boy with a bunch of hair, okay? And he was the older, but God said now the elder is going to serve the younger. And so Jacob has been, for the last 20 years, the hill grabber. And we'll get into that as we get into the message here tonight. It says, though, that Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go. Jacob is speaking, by the way. I will not let thee go except thou what? Bless me. Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now, let me pause our reading just to ask a simple question. Who is able to bless? God. Blessings come from him. So with whom is Jacob wrestling? With God. Have you ever wrestled with God? I imagine all of us here would say, you know, I've had some times when I was wrestling with God about what he wanted me to do or Wanted me to give or to, you know, when, whenever God speaks to your heart about speaking to someone about the gospel. And there's that wrestling, you know, that we go through. Jacob was wrestling with God. Okay, let's keep reading. I think you'll see that. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, hill grabber. Right? He said, Jacob. Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou hast dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And so the rest of the text just documents how the rest of his life, Jacob would walk with a limp as a reminder of what took place here. After God told him to go back to the place where he met with him there in Bethel, Bethel, house of God, he told him to go back and Jacob wrestled with God. The keynote of the Christian life, the keynote, I believe it to be the keynote of the Christian life. What we all must do if we're going to be blessed by God and used by God, the keynote of the Christian life. Father, I want to pray one more time that you'd bless our time together and that you'd help, Lord, in the communication of this message. I pray God that you'd be honored because really it's you who is the giver of blessings and you're the one who works through our lives. And Lord, I know you love these dear people here at at the, the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And you love the guests that are here. And, Lord, you have a plan for their lives individually, and you have a plan for the church, Lord, as a church family. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to um, deal with the text here tonight in such a way that would honor you as the one who gave it. And then, God, that we might make application to our lives and see the relevance of it. I sure need your help and pray that you would just work. Uh, Through me in that way and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A few years ago, um, I took my family to uh, an arena that was north of Oklahoma City uh, near Edmond, that area, and it was a uh, horse arena. And so I grew up uh, in Kentucky, and uh, my family had horses. I don't know if anybody else here has worked with horses, uh, okay? So a few have. And uh, so I was really interested in this just because it involved horses. So we went there, but it was going to be an illustrated message. And so the man was going to basically get across a, a lesson about the Christian life, but he was going to do that using a horse. And so he had a round, a round pin. In the center of this arena, and the, and the stands were here where everybody could look down and watch what was going on. And he said, now, you're just going to have to take my uh, word on this, but this horse has never been rode before. It's a filly, young female horse, and she was uh, presented to us as a wild horse. And so she's in this corral, you know, maybe it's 40 foot in diameter, something like that, maybe less, But uh, she was as far from him as she most possibly could be, up against the fence. He's in the center, and he he has a long whip. He never once struck the horse, but he was just going to use that whip to get the horse's attention. And so he said, now right now, she thinks her greatest sense of fulfillment and usefulness is somewhere out there. I'm gonna to go to work to show her that her greatest sense of fulfillment and usefulness is not somewhere out there, but it's under my authority. I thought, all right. Here we go. Let's see how this works. And he began to work with that, that whip, and he just would pop the whip on the left his left, and then on his right, and and, and he'd get the horse's attention, and every time he'd pop that whip. She'd turn away from him, turn the opposite way. And then she'd turn the other way and then the other way. And it just went back and forth. It kind of went like this, you know, as he would pop the whip. And he'd he'd make a sound even with his mouth and pop the whip and go, hey, hey. You with me? Is this weird? No? Okay, good. Hey. And she'd turn away from him. Hey. And she'd turn away from him. Hey. And she'd turn away from him. I kid you not, for 10 to 15 minutes, that's all we did. Hey. Hey! Hey! I thought, what in the world have we come to see? And he just kept working. And he's persistent. And he just kept working back and forth. Here we went. And people are looking at their watch. Kids are getting restless. And, and there he goes. Just keep continuing to work. And then I saw her. She stopped. And she did this. She looked at him with one eye. And then she turned away from him. Here he went again. Hey! Hey, another, I don't know, five minutes. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it was lengthy in time, and he just kept working and working and working to get her attention. And then I watched as she stopped, and she turned, and she looked at him with her whole face. But then here she went again. She turned away from him, and here we went again. I'm, I'm not trying to extend this, but it just kept going. Hey, hey. And she kept turning away from him, turning away from him. Well, I, I need to speed this along for the sake of preaching. So eventually, at a certain point, she stopped i 've never seen a horse do this in my life. The time that that I was uh, breaking a horse or a couple of horses that my parents just let me have a little bit of an experience. Okay, I'm going to reveal where I'm from now because I was in the Future Farmers of America. I don't know if you know anything about that, but that, anyways, I was in Kentucky, okay? So uh, that was my, my um, project for that year in the ag classes that I was taking was to break a horse. And man, the way we broke a horse, uh, Jason, was we just get on and hold on for dear life, you know, and they're bucking and throwing you off and you're getting back on. So anyways, this guy, he worked with her a good 30 minutes or more. And finally, I watched her do something that I've never seen a horse do before in my life. She stopped. She not only looked at him, but then she began to take steps and walked to him. He held out his hand. He let her smell his hand. And he took a rope and very gently put that rope around her neck, you know, just loosely, just to be able to have a hold. And Had a blanket there, had a saddle, everything, you know, just at his disposal and and her use. And so he held up that uh, that blanket, let her smell it. And every now and then she actually would kind of get fidgety and get away from him. And here we went again. Hey! Hey! But this time she'd come back to him a little bit quicker. And finally, he was able to put the blanket on. Able to gently put that saddle on, cinch it up tight. And then he put a foot in the stirrup. Very carefully and slowly swung his leg over, and she offered to buck one time, and then she walked off. I thought, where were you a few years ago when I was going like this and holding on for dear life? But you know, he patiently worked to show her that her greatest sense of usefulness and fulfillment was not somewhere out there, but watch this, it was rather under his authority. For the last 20 years in Jacob's life, God has been working to get his attention. Remember Jacob? Deceived his brother, deceived his dad. And then we mentioned even this morning as he got to where he was going, and he saw Rachel for the first time time, and he thought, wow, what a a beautiful woman, and he wanted to marry her. And he told Laban, hey, I'll, I'll work for you for seven years. You remember the story? And, and then he found out there that, that it wasn't Rachel, but lo and behold, it was Leah, her older sister. And it was like God was saying, Hey, Jacob. Hey. Fourteen years he worked for Laban. Hey. Kind of getting a dose of your own medicine, aren't you, Jacob? And Hey, God's working. To get his attention. But Jacob is like a man who thinks somehow I'm going to make this work on my own. Because remember now, his name means what? Hill grabber. His name means hill grabber. In in that connotation, it would be this. He was grasping. Remember we said this morning? He was grasping for what God wanted to give him. So many times in our anxiousness and and in our own ways, we we get anxious and we grasp for what we want or even what we think God wants for us. But we go about it in a way that is more in our power and our wisdom and our abilities and our skill and on and on. And, And so God has to work to get our attention. But, oh, aren't you thankful tonight that God works to get your attention? Isn't it a blessing that you're here tonight under the teaching and the preaching of the Word isn't it a blessing that somebody, sometime in your life, and maybe even for some, I don't know everyone here tonight, but, but maybe even for some, it's just even right here that God's working to get your attention. Aren't you thankful for that, that time that maybe somebody even gave you a, a track? I have a track here from your church. Somebody gave you a track. Hey, you never know how God can use even just the printed word in the form of a track. We just had a man named George Democus at the church that, was, that lived right here in Queens and owned a diner and, and uh, is, a, is a, a Greek man. And, but some, I forget all the details now, but somebody led him to Christ. I'm telling you, it's wonderful. But isn't it, isn't it great that God is so patient and He's so loving and He's so long Long suffering that it just keeps working in our life. And maybe sometimes it's a friend that God uses in your life or he used a friend in your life or he used a trial even to get your attention. He used a preaching message to get your attention. He, he used a song. Oh, doesn't God speak to us even through the hymns and the godly music that we hear? God may get your attention that way just to show you what He wants you to do. But every one of us, because I know that all, of, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to what? His own way. But thank God the Lord has laid on Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. And, and He works to get our attention through the Holy Spirit, using the Word. I'm looking back on my life, and I'm so thankful that that God worked in my life to get my attention and and even allow me the opportunity to go to a youth conference in Louisville, Kentucky, where I heard the word preached, and they had two preachers every night. Two, not one, two. And then in the morning, they had like three preachers, and then they had two in the afternoon. So it was like preaching in the morning, preaching in the afternoon, preaching at night. I mean, it was like preaching all the time. But you know what I needed? Preaching. It was God getting my attention. Getting my attention. Getting my attention. And every now and then, I don't know about you, but I'd look his way and think, I know his way is the best way. But then I'd turn away. And then I'd give him my full attention, but then I'd turn away. Have you ever been there and done that? Yep. And and thank God for the times when when he works in the heart such that he invites you to come and 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 even though you don't understand everything and maybe you don't even want to, but God works in your heart. But you can see he's persistent and he's loving and you walk towards him. I've never regretted. I've never regretted allowing God to have his way in my life. The key note in the Christian life is the note of submission. Submitting to God and his will. Submitting to God and. And his will. You know that's why Paul he said I he had a great desire, didn't he, for his own people Israel. And his prayer to God for Israel was that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a great zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own, have not what? Submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. They're they're trying They're trying to earn their own righteousness. They're trying, okay, we could say it this way, couldn't we? As children of Jacob, oh, this fits. They were trying to grab. They were trying to earn their own right standing before God by keeping the law and keeping the traditions and keeping all those things. They were trying to grab what through Jesus Christ God wanted to. Give them righteousness is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you know, that submission where we submit to God and come before Him, it does not end at the point of salvation. Salvation is only the beginning, we must remain submitted. To God and His will for our lives. And so I've asked a couple of men here to help me illustrate this. So, uh, Andrew and Brother Jason, if you don't mind to uh, come at this time. Okay. So maybe just come up here with me so everyone can, uh, can see you. All right. Everybody with me here tonight? Okay. Uh, what we have here are twins. Everybody see that? What do you think? They uh, <laughs> look a lot alike. <laughs> All right, so the uh, for the sake of illustration, uh, we'll let these represent the twins. Esau, right? A lot of hair, red. Esau, <laughs> this worked out great. Esau and the hill grabber, right? Esau and Jacob. And, um... We know that he was daddy's man, Hunter, etc. We know that he was mama's boy. So I don't know. This isn't true to life. I'm just saying in in the Bible. That's how it was. Okay. So anyways. All right. Let's get focused here. So Esau is the firstborn. Jacob was the secondborn. God said the elder is going to serve the younger. Isaac loved Esau more. Then Jacob said, I want the blessing to go here. God's will was that the blessing would still go here. And so they deceived uh, their father. He deceived his father and stole the blessing from Esau. The last thing that Jacob heard from Esau is that as soon as daddy dies, I'm taking your life. Isn't that right? Okay, that's what we saw. So that's the last thing that he heard from his mighty hunter brother. Who is a tracker. You know what I mean by a tracker? I mean, he could track an animal down. So if he could track an animal down, don't you know he could track a man down? Sure. Okay. All right. So uh, actually, Jason, you're done. Thank you. Okay. So he's back in the land. All right. Now, uh, Jacob, if you'll come. So now, 20 years later, God is still working in his life to do one thing. To bring him to a point of submission where he will let God work in his life to bless his life. Let me ask you a question tonight. Does God want to bless his life? Obviously. He has the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and now it's going to be the blessing of of God to Jacob. Does God want to work through his life? Another question. Is it essential that God would work through his life? It is. Because through Jacob would come Judah. And through Judah would come David, and through David and his lineage would come Jesus. And really, the big picture of this is that you and I are gathered here tonight in Queens at the Open Door Bible Baptist Church because God worked the life of a man who was a scoundrel. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Again, this is no reflection on Andrew. He's a a good and godly young man. But in the life of a Jacob, he worked in his life because, listen, God has a big picture in mind. You know, sometimes I think we lose sight of that. You know, as we were traveling around, actually, Brother Andrew was very helpful, you know, getting on the train and going from one connection to another. And I told him, man, I, I want to see the big picture. Where are we going? I want to know which one am I getting off, you know, and... And all that, it helps to have the big picture. Well, the big picture of the Bible is that God wants to bless all people through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the big picture. That's why we're here tonight. That's why God's working in your heart, in the preaching messages, and so in, in your Christian life. So God uh, said to Jacob, Jacob, you, you can read this later. It's in chapter 31. He says to Jacob, Jacob, it's time to go back. Back to where? Well, If you recall, God met with Jacob in a place that he called Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. Remember the ladder this morning? Coming down from heaven to earth, remember, not going from earth to heaven. Why? Because it's not man's effort to get to God, but rather it's God's effort to get to man. See? Okay? So God says it's time to go back. I'm the God of Bethel, he says to Jacob, and it's time to go back. Now, the only point of apprehension that Jacob would have at this point would be that the last time he heard from his brother Esau 20 years ago was that he was going to take his life once daddy died, right? I mean, that's the last, and this was before the days of Facebook. <laughs> he had no idea what had gone on since then. And this is before the, you know, anyways. And so he has no idea what's going on. Okay. So uh, Jacob won't you come down here with me. Can you see me, see us down here if we're here? Okay. So the beginning of chapter two, 32 rather, Begins this way. God says shows to Jacob. He looks up into the sky. If you'll look up into the sky. Very good. See all the angelic beings? Okay, good. Yeah, they're there. Help the illustration. There they are. Okay. All, all the angelic beings. And and Jacob calls the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim means this. Two hosts. Two camps. God's host. And then, my host. And he could point to Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah and, and Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and all the other sons and Dinah, the daughter, and all the entourage of animals. So, here's what it's saying in chapter 32. I want you to catch this now. God's host, remember the last time he was on this journey and the angels of God ascending and descending? And now the angelic beings are are once again revealed to Jacob. It's like God is saying this, Jacob, I am very much aware of where you are and I'm going to be with you. Aren't you thankful for those times? When God just shows you I'm with you. Mahanaim. God's host is watching over my host. And so then what Jacob does, and now remember his name is still what? Jacob. He sends out, We might call him a spy or an individual to go. And he goes and he finds Esau. He comes back to Jacob. And the individual says, hey, I found Esau. And uh, I'm thinking, Jacob's wondering, well, how did he look? Did he smile? Was he glad to see? Is he glad to know that I'm here, you know? He said, well, I found Esau. And he has 400 men with him. (laughs) You ever have one of those (laughs) moments where you're... (laughs) A little bit overwhelmed by your circumstances? Okay, so it's not just Esau, but there are 400 men. That's like a militia. I mean, that's like a, a an army. I mean, that's a, that's a huge huge group of individuals there. And so here's, here's what he does. He prays. Well, that's a good spiritual thing to do. Do you know what he prays? He prays, God, you're the one that told me to do this. And if I die, then everything ends right there. <laughs> Now, that's my paraphrase of it, but essentially that's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you're the one that told me to do this, and if I die, then the whole plan falls apart. Have you ever told God what he already knows? Have you ever said to God, God, you're the one who told me to tithe, and if I lose more hours at work, I won't be able to make my bills and all those things? Have you ever done that? I think every one of us have been there before. That's part of chapter 32. Another thing that he does here in chapter number 32 that tells me that he's still Jacob is that he sends a big gift to his brother Esau. Goats and cattle and sheep and just livestock to the tune of 550 different animals. Now, why did he do that? I believe it's because he's saying to his brother Esau, Love you, brother. Still friends? (laughs) It's, It's Jacob being Jacob. You with me here tonight? He's still supplanting. He's still conniving. He's still working according to his wisdom. He's Watch this now. This is very important. He's still trying to do things in his own power. So then he does this. He uh, organizes the family in this fashion. Zilpah, Bilhah, up front. This is in chapter 33. Some of you see where I'm going with this, right? Zilpah, Bilhah, your kids, up front. Leah, you're next. Your kid's right there with you. Rachel, you're back here with me. Now, why did he do that? Well, because she was the pretty one. And I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He's thinking, this is Jacob. In his mind, he's thinking, they might attack Zilpah, Bilhah, and get even Leah, but I'm getting out of here with the pretty one. Getting out of here with Rachel. I'm telling you, he was still very much Jacob. So, all right, you just kind of stand there. At this point, now... His family was on one side of the river. Jacob is on the other side of the river. By the way, it's interesting, the name of the river is Jabbok. Jabbok means emptying when you look it up. Emptying. His name is Jacob. The river is Jabbok. And it's called Jabbok because the mountains would empty out the water and it would flow into a river and then out to, you know, the sea and so forth. And so it was emptying. But I want to say to you that night, there was more than just the water from the mountains being emptied. God had to empty this man. Is this making sense here tonight? His family's on one side, he's on the other. It's dark. He knows Esau's somewhere in the area. He beds down. And just imagine this now it's the middle of the night, it's dark. You can't hear what's going on around you because you hear the river flowing. And in the middle of the night, somebody jumps him. You okay? Absolutely. Good, Good. okay. He gets jumped. Now, who do you think he thought that it was? Esau. That would make sense to me. He would think, no doubt, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me in my life. Wouldn't you agree? He just got jumped in the middle of the night. He knows his brother somewhere in the area. He has 400 men with him. He's thinking, oh, my soul, this is terrible. And so they wrestle. Now, I know, uh, kids, you're not supposed to wrestle in church, all right? So this is just for an illustration. But they wrestled. Maybe let's move it up here. They they wrestled. And so the Bible... the. All right, let's go. He's like ready. All right. The Bible says that they wrestled. And okay, let's go. You ready? So as they wrestled during the night, okay. at some point, Jacob realized, wait a minute, that's not Esau. I wonder how he figured that out. Maybe he felt the back of his neck and back of his hands. Is that not not goat hair there? So that's must not be him. But somewhere in the middle of the wrestling, and the word wrestle means literally that they got dusty, like they were rolling around and wrestling. Not just wrestling, but wrestling. You know what I mean? Like what you know, the men here, maybe you did uh, back in the day with your cousins and you'd come out of the room and your ears are all red and and your mom or dad asks, Have you been wrestling? No. Hair's all a mess. (laughs) So they wrestled. But at some point... The point I want to make here tonight is that at some point, Jacob understood that that this is not Esau. It's not the worst thing that that could happen to me in life. It actually is the very best thing because he realized that it was none other than God. Is that true from the text? I want to say that there are many times that what seems to be the worst thing that could ever happen to you in your life and turn out to be the very best thing, depending on whether or not you submit to it. Does this make sense? Okay, this is going to be very junior highish. okay? But I had a girlfriend in the eighth grade, and she's my girlfriend for a whole month. That's like a record in the eighth grade. But on Valentine's Day, 1989, she dumped me. She broke up with me on Valentine's Day. I mean to tell you, I mean, in my mind, at least at that point, that was the worst thing that could have ever happened. Are you with me? Well, really, as I look back now, that was the best thing that happened to me in the eighth grade. You know, because then I began, God got my attention. Hey, hey, and it began to work in my heart. And, and I what happened is I began to have a heart for the Lord, and at the same time, God was working right here in the heart of a young lady named angie and in the ninth grade and especially in the tenth grade, God was working to bring us together and what turned out what I thought was the worst thing actually turned out to be the best thing because God then began to work in my heart about her and I never forget that it was after a youth rally, and we were just out to eat afterwards and and uh, which is customary, we went to McDonald's as part of the fundamentals of the faith for independent fundamental Baptist youth groups, you just have to go to McDonald's, I guess. I don't know. It seems like we always did. And right there in McDonald's of all places, it's like God just spoke to my heart and saying, Jason, you need to get to know this girl. And I said, yes, sir, can do, will do, glad to, and I did. But between that eighth grade point, and that point, there was a lot of wrestling with God that went on in my own life. I'm just trying to share a little bit of my testimony there, are things that I was wrestling with God. And, and, and then even just the call to preach, and I thought, God, I can't do that. I mean, you know how it is when God puts on your heart what he wants you to do, and you wrestle with it. How I many say, I believe at any point, God could have just thumped him and been done with him? Sure. I mean, we're talking about God wrestling with man. Sometimes I wrestle with my little boys because that's what daddies ought to do with boys, right? And I'll take them and, you know, body slam them on the couch and and, uh, suplex them, you know, and all that stuff. Sometimes, though, I'll act like they're getting me, like they're winning. And I'll fall down, oh, you got me, and, and all that stuff. But at any time, daddy can rise up and... And just throwing them around and taking advantage of the size. Obviously, he could have done Jacob in at any point. The Bible says that at a certain point, of course, God asked him, what is your name? Now, wait a minute. Do you think God forgot what his name was? No. He knew what his name was. He wanted Jacob to acknowledge who he was. Listen, you have to acknowledge who you are. You have to acknowledge where you are for God to be able to work in you. And he had to acknowledge, my name is Jacob. For the last 20 years plus, I've been pulling strings to make things like work my way. And God, the Bible says, touched his thigh. Either he just laid his hand there or he hit his thigh. And when he did, he went down. Everybody see this? Isn't this a position of surrender? Isn't this significant that in wrestling, it's not your upper body strength, but as I understand, it's that lower body strength. And what is symbolizing is that for God to be able to, to work in and through Jacob's life, he had to even take away Jacob's source of strength. So that God would be his source of strength. You follow me? He had to take away his source of strength. So that then God would be his source of strength. And that's why he said to him, Jacob, your name is no more Jacob, but it's Israel. el Short form of Elohim, God. Israel. there's a lot of different meanings or ideas, but it's all basically the same. It, of course, in the text it says, as a prince with God, you've prevailed with God. So prevailing, fighting, God fights, is part of the definition that is there. The basic gist of it, I believe, is this. God is saying to Jacob, Jacob. You've been doing things in your own power. And at your very best, you're insufficient. I want to work in your life and through your life. And thus, it is God saying to Jacob, Jacob, your name is no longer Jacob, but it is Israel, which means God fights for you. And you can either try to handle life in your own power and your own ingenuity And skill and wisdom. Or you can trust the eternal God who has infinite wisdom and mighty power. And thus they were to be known as the children of Israel. The children of the God who fights for them. So maybe we could illustrate it this way. At the battle of Jericho... As God told the children of Israel to march around the walls those number of days and on the seventh seventh day to march around seven times and the walls would fall, that was God fighting for them. But in the little town of Ai, they said, you know, we don't need to send everybody in. Let's just send in a few of the troops. They were defeated and they were acting more like Jacob than they were like Israel because it was in their own power and their own strength and their own wisdom. The key note of the Christian life is, is this right here. Submission. God, whatever you want, He works to get your attention. Hey! So that you'd walk to Him and submit to Him to say, Lord, I want what you want. And it's at this point when you're here that he can put his blessings upon you and he can use you for the sake of the nations. Thank you, Brother Andrew. I appreciate that very much. Isn't this exactly what God wants to do in our lives? But don't we wrestle at times against God and his will? In the matter of salvation... Yes, but I believe tonight I'm preaching to the majority that would know Jesus by salvation. Sometimes we have a hard time submitting to his will in other areas, don't we? Paul said, submitting yourselves one to another. Wives, submit to the husband. Husband, love the wife. Submission basically means this. Get in your place. Everybody has a place. Peter talks about the life of a church family, and the younger are to submit to the elder. And and because God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. That's the idea. There may be times you have a hard time submitting to God's will or his way. I'd like to close with this illustration. Um... Back in 2008, we were at a charter service for the Lighthouse Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Russ Bishop is a pastor there, and we're the church that started that church. And so we were there in that service and to celebrate, you know, of course, what God had done. I had my son Trevor there at the time. He's age two. And uh, he's sitting in my lap. It's about a two-hour long service. Well, that's a long service for adults, right? And let alone for a two-year-old. Well, I was trying to occupy his time. And so I took my pen and I had a piece of paper there and I put my hand over his hand. And we began and wrote his name, T-R-E-V-O-R, Trevor. And he looked back at me and said, that's my name. We did it again. T-R-E-V-O-R, Trevor. He said, that's my name. And I said, well, but let's do it one more time. And so this time, though, he said something that, you know, is uh, pretty often said from a two-year-old perspective. He said this, me do it. You ever hear a two-year-old say that? No, Daddy, me do it. He began to scribble. He looked back at me and said, Trevor, that's my name. Big old mess, just lines everywhere. I said, yeah, all right, buddy. I said, here, let Daddy help you. And he said, no, me do it. And he did it again, big old mess. And looked back at me and said, Trevor, that's my name. You know what I've learned in life? I can either submit to God and the ways of God in my life. And if I do that, then God has a way of writing a clear message in life, doesn't he? As his hand guides your hand. But then there's times, I've got to say, that I just get proud and obstinate and self-centered and self-reliant and selfish. You with me? Am I the only one here tonight that's that way? No, I think we all are, aren't we? And there's times in my life, even as an adult, I might say, no, God, me do it. <laughs> me, man. <laughs> me fine woe, man. <laughs> Something like that. Or me, man, me do finances, me buy this, me buy that, me buy this, me buy more that, me no tide, me do this. What do you have a big, a big old mess on your hands, right? Sure. You need to go through life trusting the hand of God to guide and to lead, or you can say, "No, God, me do it." I want to thank God for His mercy and His grace. Don't you? That time and time again, God works hey, to get our attention, hey, to bring us to one point the place of humbling ourselves before God to let Him have His way that He might bless and that He might use our lives. Would you stand together here tonight, every head bowed and every eye closed? God working in your life to get your attention. Calling attention to His will, to His way. Wanting to bring you to a place where He could bless and use your life. I don't know where you might be tonight in your walk with the Lord. Of course, tonight, if there's someone here that does not know Jesus as Savior, don't continue trying to grasp for your own righteousness. That would be self-righteousness. Would you please receive the righteousness that Jesus provides to you through his sacrificial death on the cross, his substitutionary death and his resurrection that you might be saved, not through your own effort, but through his finished work. Tonight, if you are lost, we'd love the opportunity to have somebody take a Bible and show you from the word of God how that you could bow before the Lord and ask the Lord to be your savior. Tonight, if you are saved here at this invitation time and there's a particular way that God is working in your heart, maybe it is a trial that you're going through. Perhaps it is a major decision that you're facing, a situation even at work or in the family. Your role here, even in the work of the ministry at the church and God's working in your life. Maybe it's a struggle in the area of temptation, whatever it may be. I believe the text is guiding us not to trust ourselves and our own efforts, but rather to humble ourselves before God and let him help us and guide us and work in us and through us and fight our battles. And so I invite you to come here tonight, and I'm going to pray. and we'll extend a time of invitation here. Father, I thank you for your word and that you recorded the life of Jacob for us to consider. Lord, I've never regretted a day that I submitted to your will in my life. and There's been plenty of days since where it's been a struggle or we might say even a time of wrestling with you. God, I pray tonight that you'd help, Lord, these, your people and those that need to trust you for salvation. God, I pray that you'd help them to come and humble themselves before you. Help us, Lord, not to be self-reliant and self-assertive and all those things that would distract us from you. But help us, Lord, to be submissive, to let you have your way in our life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Miss Montoro begins to play, if you'd like to come here tonight to submit yourself before the Lord, won't you come as, as we have this?